I think the idea that companies need to both create value for and be valued by their stakeholders is going to become even more important. Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. In today's episode, Pam Chan, the Chief Investment Officer of BlackRock, explains what's needed to take ESG further. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. If you come at it with the, the right intentions, the right thoughtfulness, and you are present in those meetings, do you think we will be delightfully surprised? Pam Chan is the Chief Investment Officer and Global Head of the Alternative Solutions Group at BlackRock. This is a $10 billion platform investing across the private market space, from private equity and credit to infrastructure or real estate, or even things like wetland mitigation and music. Her work considers how the private market can help push forward goals like sustainability and opportunity. This work ladders up to ESG criteria, environment, social, and governance standard, that socially conscious investors can use to measure the non-financial success of a company. ESG has gotten a hit lately, but Pam will explain how we can use investing to move forward with big goals. She'll also explain the importance of mindset and the everyday changes leaders will need to ensure their own work aligns with those standards. She explains to me this will take leaders getting uncomfortable and getting collaborative with new voices. In a podcast recorded at May's annual meeting, we'll have Pam get us started with an explanation of alternative investments, what they are and why they're so important. They are everything outside of listed assets. So everything outside of that. I think the reason why they're important is a couple things. One is that it's a pretty big space and growing. So it's about 15 trillion today, growing to 20, 23 trillion in the next few years. So it's going to be uh, pretty substantive um, as a market. It's also getting more heterogeneous. So not just bigger, but more asset classes and more ways to invest. I think two is they enable us to take a longer term view, which I think, um, especially given the market volatility we see these days is particularly important as we think about overall purpose and goal of a particular enterprise. Um, and I think three is related to that point is the ability to be actively engaged with the company asset or enterprise through the private markets because you have a greater proximity to the asset. You've actually manufactured it. You haven't bought a listed ticker. You have negotiated with the management team kind of what you want that investment to look like, what governance, influence and control you want to have, and ultimately what outcomes, which I think makes it particularly pertinent from a sustainable investing perspective. 10 years from now, how do you think the world will change? What's the before and after that we might see? Yeah, I think that there's going to be more and more focus on uh, stakeholder capitalism. I think the idea that companies need to both create value for and be valued by their stakeholders is going to become even more important um, in a world where kind of Trust is sometimes tenuous at best. I also think that there's going to be more need for engagement and dialogue and partnership so that we can figure out all these hard problems together. I don't think we can figure them out alone uh, is the issue. <laughs> so I think we will need to do a lot of convening on that point. 
ESG has gotten a little bit of pushback recently. Markets have been sort of sort of a tough run. What are people maybe not thinking about when it comes to ESG that maybe they're they're overlooking? Yeah, I think there's a couple things, right? I think the term ESG gets thrown out a lot and people mean totally different things. <laughs> so uh, my first part of the answer would be to say that actually be specific about what you mean, uh, because impact investing, where you're looking for additionality, is very different than screening for ESG risks. Now, they're related, but they're different and distinct. So I think being more specific as we talk about it, I think is important because that also helps us safeguard the integrity of what we're trying to do. Um, so that's the first thing. I think that the on the go-forward basis, it's actually going to be more and more important. I actually think everything that is going on in the world has only accelerated the need to think about investing sustainably. And I mean that not just from an E perspective, but also from an S perspective and a G perspective. Um, so those are some of the things that I would offer is really how are we defining that and be specific. You talked a little bit about trust earlier, that we really need to make sure that that trust piece is in place. Mm -hmm. This is a complex time, right? Not a lot of trust around. Even as people convene, it's hard to get people aligned. How do we build that back? I don't think there's any shortcut to just spending more time together. I think it's really hard to despise or hate someone that you spend time with. It's really easy to tokenize or otherize someone when they are abstract. But when they're sitting with you sharing a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a meal, it's really hard to have those types of feelings. Um, and so I think the first thing is just spending more time and engaging and having conversation. I think secondly, it's also about putting yourself in situations where you can have conversations that make you feel just a bit uncomfortable, that are not going to be congruent with your own views or predispositions. Uh, I think that oftentimes we find ourselves surrounded by people who think the same way that we do or come from similar backgrounds. And I think actually pushing ourselves to get out of that zone and actually have conversations that are going to surprise you, open your mind. Uh, I think that's really important to building trust. And then you realize actually that the other person um, is probably just as well-meaning as you. It's just that we haven't had the conversation. You say that as we are here, annual meeting, first time in two years. For me, it's the first conference that I've been to in a very, very long time. How, when's the last time that you were at an event like this with this many people? This is definitely also my first time post-Omicron. Right? <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. And I feel like there's a, a sort of a renewed joy with this sort of thing. I've had just a couple uh, events recently where people have been able to come together. And I feel like people are excited to go. they less likely to sort of see it as a... I got to go to this thing. You know, I feel like people are, are excited to come together. Do you think that that is going to be helpful in this moment, that people are eager to at least see other people and maybe that will help in building trust? Absolutely. I, I really think that we are, whether you're introverted or extroverted, we are, are all social beings. Yeah. Right? I think lockdown has demonstrated on the downside that we cannot survive without other people. On the upside, I think, though, it has demonstrated true resilience. But I think bringing people together sounds so simple, but there's also a little bit of serendipity at events like this where you end up meeting someone you never thought you would and you end up having a conversation you never thought you would that opens your mind. And so I think you can't know the things you don't know you want to talk about. Right. Um, but if you meet someone 
uh, I think that's that's part of the gateway to greater knowledge and really fostering curiosity. I actually think the curiosity and the trust are very much tied together. We talked a little bit about uh, some of the, the the changes that are going on. Business is changing. The role of business is changing. In your mind, how do you feel about that? What do you sort of see as that transition, that transformation? One good thing coming out of the pandemic is that we have started to embrace flexibility insofar as how people work, where they work, when they work, um, which I think allows people to bring a a more holistic self to work where previously was a more zero sum situation. But I think that raises some challenges around culture as well. Right. And how you foster the innovation that you just described, because you may not run into someone and buy the water cooler anymore. So I think that's going to be a challenge for business leaders to figure out, like, how do you maintain it's something that we're very focused on? How do you maintain that really special culture and that has made the enterprise what it is, but also enable the flexibility? I think that's going to be critical. I also think really digging deep on what the next generations are looking for. Survey after survey shows that they want to see their values in the companies that they are consumers of or that they invest in, et cetera. And so I think determining what those things are, and actually I think that means in some cases changing your business model in order to deliver the things that they will find valuable. How can leaders sort of rise to this occasion? What do you sort of see uh, leaders needing to to change so that they can um, make the most of this moment? Yeah, I think um, to actually brainstorm which voices they haven't heard either in a while or they haven't heard at all. I think that's important because not only will you learn from that, but there's so much value in people just feeling like they've been heard. Because I think a lot of the issues that we talked about earlier and so far as trust and everything else is because people don't feel like they're part of the conversation. And so what I would encourage is actually having dialogue with those voices that you're like, oh, I actually have no idea what that constituency is thinking or what that stakeholder is thinking. I need to reach out and have that dialogue. Sounds so simple, but I think that oftentimes you can go a long time without re-engaging and the world is changing so fast that, I mean, just think about it. I feel like I'm in a space-time continuum warp, right, with, with COVID. But 2022 versus 2019 is so different, right? In the grand scheme of things, three years is not very long. But I think the rapidity, the velocity of change of what those stakeholders need, what they're focused on, what they're scared about is incredibly important. And I actually think particularly now, as we go into a much more uncertain macro environment, where we're trying to think about how to make transition inclusive, and ensure that there's active wealth. I think those are those are big questions that require kind of all the perspectives at the table. And how can anyone get started with that? What's something that leaders can do? I guess in my mind, it actually seems pretty simple, right? Like if it's someone that you've never talked to before, a constituency that you spent less time with, uh, but they are an important stakeholder in your success, um, you need to kind of reintroduce yourself. Um, I think that's really important. I think we constantly need to reintroduce ourselves and why, what is our purpose, right? From, from our perspective, from a BlackRock perspective, our purpose is to help more and more people achieve financial well-being. And we say that all the time and it manifests itself in different ways. But what we need to do is actually think about who are those stakeholders, again, for whom we need to create value and who we want to value us. And then once you have that list of those stakeholders, then to go out and say, okay, within this group of stakeholders, um, who have I not 
talked to recently or who who do I not really know what they're I don't know what they're thinking right now. I mean, again, it sounds so simple, uh, but I think it's all dialogue based. And if you come at it with the right intentions, the right thoughtfulness, and you are present in those meetings, uh, do you think we will be delightfully surprised? You talked a little bit about people's worries. Uh, what do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? So I actually, after having read Why We Sleep, I try to sleep more. Um, and I apparently have been a good sleeper since I was young, per my mother. Um, but I think insofar as what keeps me up at night, it's actually the divisiveness that I see. And myself as a Chinese Canadian woman, there's been no shortage of really appalling and just simply unimaginable things, uh, at least that I wouldn't have imagined 10 years ago, for instance, um, happening kind of all around us. And so I think that the divisiveness that keeps me up at night. I think the, the my own view is that we are much more similar than we are different, but we end up in our own lanes in such a way where we're insulated from everybody else. So you don't feel like you have a shared experience. Um, so it's how do you create not just the forum for convening, but also the curiosity to then empathize with somebody else so that you don't get some of these things happening. So I think that that really keeps me up at night. I also think that I worry that we are not doing enough fast enough as we think about transition, but also doing it thoughtfully, right? So you can't go fast and not thoughtfully. You have to do both. And I think it's a huge endeavor, right? We're talking, what, $125 trillion to get to net zero by 2050 uh, with technologies that have not yet even been created, right? To your point on innovation earlier. So I do worry about that as well which then gets me back to my original point, which is that we all need to work together, right? There's no single person that is going to figure it all out. Um, and so I think the importance of collaboration and like that collective action and intelligence makes uh, actually uh, events like this really important. I feel like we've moved from this maybe founder mentality where there was one innovator, one mind, one inventor that would maybe create change, create something amazing, whether it was a, a Henry Ford or, you know, maybe of a, you know, a Steve Jobs, something yeah. like that, uh, to a time now where we need to build on those innovations and, like you say, work collectively. How do we make sure that everybody understands that we need to move to that mindset? Well, I think a couple of things. One is that we need to think about what the narrative and the overarching goal is. Um, I think that that sounds like, again, a trite comment. But I think if we actually all buy in and are aligned on a goal, that goes a long way. And back to the definitional point about ESG, like when there's conflicting definitions, uh, it's hard to align. Right. So I think that's that's one thing to foster kind of collective action, as you said. I think the second thing is actually making sure that all those participants know that their contributions are valued. Because I think a lot of people may unsubscribe because they don't think that they have anything to contribute to that dialogue, whether it's because, you know, on transition, they're not a scientist or what have you. Right. But I think this is such a overarching issue that everybody has a part to play. And I think it's just underscoring that they do. And then lastly, it's about kind of beating the drum. Right? I guess there's no other way to describe it aside from. Familiarity, I think, breeds trust in a lot of ways. And so the more we talk about things, whether it's transition or whether it's mental health, like all the things that, frankly, we've not talked about very much previously, but now are coming to the fore. I think the more we talk about it, the more people will 
think about how can I help in that particular realm? Uh, and then hopefully you give them also the conduit, I suppose, to make their contribution. Uh, what gives you hope? I really think it's about the resilience. I, I know that the last few years and even going forward and even today is a pretty difficult time and has been a pretty difficult time. But I'm constantly inspired by the fact that humans are remarkably resilient. We've been pretty well evolutionarily designed, right? And so that gives me hope, right? I've even here have been talking to a bunch of people where the post-COVID world has only energized them to do more. And some of the issues that we're seeing have only kind of instigated more kind of passion around what they need to do, right, in their respective realms. So I think that's one thing. And I also think there's... Um, the thing that gives me hope is is actually the amount of openness. There's openness about kind of bring your whole self to work. Do we have more work to do? Oh, absolutely. But I think the dialogue is out there. We are more open about mental health and emotional well-being. We're more open about all the things that one needs to do beyond just your professional identity that give you satisfaction, gratitude, energy, also the things that pain you, right? And I think that actually having a really open dialogue about things that were really tough to talk about before um, is a step in the right direction. More to come, but I think a step in the right direction. And I've been, I've been really um, heartened by the amount of openness. That was Pam Chan. Thanks to her and thanks to you for listening. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with Juan Turan as studio engineer, Jerry Johansson as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>